Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brandon Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Today, Ron Jor and I will be joined by Matt Smethurst to discuss pastors and deacons. Matt serves as the managing editor of the Gospel Coalition. He has served as both a deacon and an elder at Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and is now in the process of planting a church in Richmond, Virginia. Matt has written numerous books, including Before You Open Your Bible, Nine Heart Postures for Approaching God's Word, and the book we will be discussing today, Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church. Today's conversation was recorded over Zoom, so the quality may be a little different from what you're used to, but it will in no way impact the conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another episode of Pastor Matters. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time out to have a conversation with us today on Pastors and Deacons. I'm really excited for uh, our conversation. We're going to go ahead and jump right into this conversation. Uh, we, we, we talk a lot about definitions and getting definitions right. So I wanted to first ask, what are deacons? I think that uh, putting all of the biblical material together, uh, it, we, can, we can kind of come up with a definition from the bottom up. The, the Bible never explicitly says a deacon is blank. But I think we, we've, we first need to recognize the fact that the Greek word uh, diakonos, which gets translated in the New Testament on a few occasions as deacon, actually shows up. 29 times throughout the New Testament, and the overwhelming majority of those times, it is translated not as deacon, but as servant or minister. In other words, referring to all Christians uh, and what, what they are called to. In fact, the, the Lord Jesus himself um, was the, the ultimate deacon. He, he who would be um, first must be deacon of all, Jesus said. You know, Mark, Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come uh, to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. But it also does become uh, in a few places in the New Testament, which we can talk about. And looking at those passages in particular that are referring to a, a, a formal church office, I think that deacons are, are best defined, best understood as model servants, uh, who assist the elders in three main ways. Model servants who assist the elders by spotting and meeting tangible needs, protecting and promoting church unity, and serving and supporting the ministry of the word. So deacons are model servants who assist the elders by spotting and meeting tangible needs, protecting and promoting church unity, and serving and supporting the ministry of the word. And, and underneath that broad umbrella, there's tons of room for flexibility and application. But I think that gets at the contours of what the New Testament holds out. That's really cool. Uh, that That's a, um, a very good description of not just the deacons, but also uh, kind of the deacon role, but also the job description uh, for the deacons as well. Uh, why do you think that the qualifications for deacons matter? Uh, so in 1 Timothy 3, 
Uh, you have a list of qualifications for the overseer, and then he's got a list of qualifications for the deacons. If deacons are just there to serve the church and uh, and and to you know assist in kind of the servant ministries uh, of the local church, why why are there why is there qualifications for them? Great question. I think there's a kind of a general reason and a more specific reason. I think the general reason is that uh, unavoidably, as office holders in a local church, deacons are going to be looked to and followed and emulated, and so they ought to be exemplary Christians. And that is one of the interesting things, of course, about those qualifications for deacons is that the the extraordinary thing about them is that they're all pretty ordinary. Um, they're, they're things that are commanded elsewhere in Scripture of all Christians. And so a deacon doesn't have to be the total package in terms of uh, this kind of spiritual, being a spiritual super, superstar or, or having... Um, uh, the most impressive skill set for the kingdom of God. But a deacon must be a faithful, humble, growing, repenting Christian. So that's the general reason it, it is just given given their their position in the church, they are they are uh, going to be setting the 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 tone and the um, the tempo for how others live the Christian life. But the more specific reason, I think, has to do with that second, job description, that second piece of the job description, protecting and promoting church unity. We see this principle especially fleshed out in Acts chapter 6, where we don't see the noun deacon, but we do see the verb, and it's a passage that uh, throughout church history, uh, uh, Christians have derived um, a lot of guidance for the diaconate from looking at how the seven function there in relation to the apostles, just as deacons today should function in relation to elders. And what we see the deacons doing there in Acts chapter 6 is they're actually solving not just a culinary squabble, a little food crisis, but they are solving a sudden threat to church unity, the very unity for which Jesus uh, died. Uh, that, and so it's a it's a it's a massive uh, problem. It's an emergency situation that's running along very natural fault lines in the life of the Jerusalem church, and the deacons rise to respond in order to quell that conflict and to restore that blood bought unity. And so it's especially important. And, and, and we're kind of jumping here to application, but I would just say it's especially important that the deacons in your church are those who are the the, the 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 best encouragers in your church the the ones who don't push the drama button uh the ones where conflict and gossip go to die uh and 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 the ones who love to to stand in the gap not as just yes men who who do everything the pastor or the elders say but as those who muffle shockwaves not make them reverberate further and how ironic and sad it is that the opposite has so often been the case in churches where deacons have compounded the kind of headaches that they are meant to relieve. Yeah, I think that uh, you make a very excellent point there. Um, one of the things that we've noticed, and, and especially, unfortunately, in Baptist circles, we see it, uh, we see it a ton, uh, where you may have a pastor who is eminently qualified for for the role of of elder and shepherd of the flock um and what happens is uh we we focus all, almost all of our attention on that on making sure that he's the right guy 
But then in terms of deacons, we go, uh, we want the business guy, you know, we want the guy who's got the ties to the community. We got, you know, all of these different things, but we're not asking, is this person qualified uh, to be a deacon? And then what happens? The pastor leaves and you have these deacons that are in positions, uh, uh, you know, in order, like you said, to maintain the unity of the church, to keep things you know, going, but they're not necessarily qualified. Uh, they weren't qualified to be deacons to begin with, and now you know they've got added responsibilities and things like that. And what happens is uh, it winds up changing the definition and and the expectations of what deacons are supposed to be. Uh, if we were to approach uh, the diaconate with uh, the same vigilance as we as we do the pastorate. Uh, to make sure that uh, these guys are godly, to make sure that they are uh, are spiritually qualified, that they are living above reproach, and so on. I think that we may have a different story in a lot of our Baptist churches. Yeah, Ron Jordan. I think another another uh, dynamic here is that because deacon work is also uh, tangible, physical in nature, we can assume that it's not a spiritual office, uh, but actually it is. It's a spiritual ministry that is focused on tangible needs. And uh, one, one of the, the, the great problems that arises when we view it, uh, when we wrongly demote the office. So some churches kind of wrongly elevate the office of deacon to that of a de facto elder, but others wrongly kind of demote it to just kind of glorified janitors. And I think both errors fall far short of the Bible's high and, and, and noble vision for the office. But when we reduce it um, beneath the, 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 the biblical vision, we end up doing a major disservice, not just to the deacons, not just to the, the elders, but also to the whole congregation, because a deacon who is spiritually unqualified is, again, going to create the kind of problems that they are actually meant to, in God's design, relieve. So we often, I think, can think, well, uh, we need the financial wizard. We need the guy who's great at Excel spreadsheets. We need the handyman who can fix anything. Because again, these are very tangible problems that arise in a church. But having that, those skill sets do, does not qualify one to be a deacon. There's nothing in 1 Timothy 3 about competence. It's all about character. Uh, what, what good is it to know your way around Home Depot if you don't know your way around your Bible? Those are really good points that both of you guys guys made. We were actually, me and my small group, uh, we were in uh, the qualifications of both elders and deacons just this past week, and we were just sitting there talking. And there's a lot of similarities here between the qualifications of both elders and deacons. And so we definitely don't need to overlook that um, and think that it's anything less than what it is. So really good points there. You've kind of alluded a little bit to this um, this past question, but I do think it's an important question that I do want to have us talk about, and that is how do deacons strengthen the church? Uh, but then if I could just add kind of a second part to that, not how do deacons strengthen the church, but how do um, deacons potentially weaken the church when they don't meet these qualifications? Yeah, well, it's been said that that a wife, for instance, will either double her husband's ministry if, if he's a pastor or half it and it's the same with deacons in relation to pastors and and there there are stories in fact chapter five of the book um is just a collection of about 20 vignettes stories of deacons serving well and doubling 
the ministry of the pastors and the congregation um, in the church. But I think that uh, it, so much of it has to do with whether they're staying in their lane, as it were. See, the problem with churches where deacons are functioning as elders is not just that you don't have biblical elders. It's also that you don't have biblical deacons. You're missing out on the blessing and the benefit of both both offices as outlined and, and delineated in God's word. And so I think, you know, if, if you show me a church with, with distracted pastors and a derailed mission, I'll show you a church with without effective deacons. Um, and, and so one of the, one of the signs that deacons are functioning well, that here, here's, here's one kind of irony. One of the signs that the deacons are functioning well in a church is that you're not always thinking about the deacons <laughs> because they are serving faithfully behind the scenes. They're kind of like the congregation special ops force who, who carry out unseen tasks with fortitude and joy. Yeah, I love that. I, I you you mentioned X uh, six, and it, it's so beautiful to see what happened there. So there was a crisis, uh, as you mentioned before. The Hellenistic widows uh, felt like they were being discriminated against uh, when you know at the at the food pantry, if you will, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know the apostles said, "Hey, we gotta you know we gotta raise up some godly men uh, full of the Holy Spirit, you know, and so on." Uh, so that we can, you know, keep our focus on the word of God and prayer. And as a result of that, it says that the word of God, you know, increased or the gospel increased and, and, and many people came to the faith and, and so forth there. Um, what I think the upshoot of that is for us is that when deacons are serving well, the, and, and apostles are serving well, or the elders, you know, uh, today are serving well both the spiritual needs and the practical needs of the church are being met. And in that case, uh, the church is being very well loved. And, uh, and that's, that's just one of the more beautiful pictures uh, of the church functioning properly uh, uh, in the, in the scriptures that just, it's, it's just amazing to behold. Yeah, it's a beautiful dance as they as they work in tandem. Uh, Luke in Luke twenty four, uh, he says that that Jesus's ministry was mighty in both word and deed. And there's a sense in which in the the new covenant age, through his body, the the church and the and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that twofold ministry of Christ, word and deed, is being carried out in the respective offices of elder and deacon. That's so good. That's so good. Uh, do deacons need training? Um, and and if so, what what would that entail? Like what 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 does that look like? If if the answer is yes, yes, I think they need training because while um, it's certainly requisite, as we've talked about, to be a godly, maturing Christian, that's not necessarily sufficient. You also want someone who's going to be for lack of a better term, a safe pair of hands, meaning someone who is is not going to flake out on things, someone who's going to respond to emails, someone you're not going to have to babysit, someone, again, that you can kind of forget about, uh, not in the sense that you're not going to honor them, encourage them, support them, but that you're not going to, they're not going to be staring at you all the time, waiting for you to say uh, their next, you know, give them their, their, their next step. Uh, 
you don't have to quarterback every play as it were. They're going to be uh, mobilizing others, organizing service um, in order to uh, bring, you know, make ministry happen far beyond what the elders alone would be able to do. Now, the training piece comes in because I think talking, the more specific you can be with a deacon about what their purview, their area of responsibility is going to be, the less problems it's going to create down the road because the deacon will have a very clear understanding of, okay, I'm, I'm overseeing this area of the life of the church, or I'm, I'm, I, I'm mobilizing ministry, I'm, I'm leading teams of volunteers, I'm coordinating service in this area, but uh, I'm actually not responsible for this area, and, and I'm, not, I'm not one of the, the, the leaders of, of the whole flock in, in that sense. And so giving kind of some on-the-job training about those specific areas, I think, can can really be helpful. And and just one other note I want to sound is the very note that Paul sounds at the end of his qualifications for elders uh, in, in 1 Timothy 3.7. He doesn't include a promise or an encouragement. He just moves immediately on to deacons. But when he finishes his qualifications for deacons, technically he ends them in verse 12, but he adds verse 13. She doesn't do for elders, but for the deacons, he gives a promise. And he says that, that those who serve faithfully will gain two things in increasing measure. They, they will gain respect that, that comes horizontally from the church, and they will gain boldness. That will descend vertically from God. And I think the reason Paul does this for deacons is because he knows, again, that so much of their work is grunt work, not stage work. It's thankless, and, and often you're looking at deacons, especially, I mean, let's just bring it to the present day. In the wake of a global pandemic, many pastors and deacons are beleaguered and depleted, and, and it's like Paul is looking through the tunnels of time in 1 Timothy 3.13 and saying, do not grow weary in doing good. Your labor for the Lord is not in vain. Yeah, I have a friend who, who loves to say that to uh uh, to our pastors, and I guess we can extend that, of course, to our deacons too. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's 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 think about this training then. So is is deaconing uh, kind of a one size fits all? Uh, you know how how does it how does it vary from uh, from church to church, or does it vary from church to church? We, we look at the pastor and we go, okay, you know, he preaches <laughs> and, uh, you know, he shepherds the flock, he, he leads and he counsels and things like that. That pretty much is the same from church to church. Uh, is it uh, that way also for deacons? Not at all. I think that's where the flexibility that I mentioned earlier really comes into play. Uh, there are, I, I think one, one reason we, we talked about this briefly offline. I think you made a good, good point before the, the interview, Ronjor, that um, maybe one of the reasons why deacons don't show up a ton in scripture is because it's hard to be prescriptive with the office because the, 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 the way deacons function is going to, in, in a lot of ways, be based on the particular needs of a church at a particular time. And so I think the larger principle is that uh, is it remains intact? Of course, that 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 deacons should rise to respond in creatively constructive ways to promote the harmony and the good of the whole church, and yet, yeah, that's going to look very different in different churches. So, I'll give one example. A lot of people think of deacons as merely ministers of mercy, um, and 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 that's that's a historic understanding that's that's coming out of Acts chapter six. 
But I think, again, looking at Act 6, there's a larger principle in play. Yes, we, we, we deacons are not less than mercy ministers, but they shouldn't be limited to mercy ministers. I think, I think that theoretically, deacons can do anything in the life of the church that the elders need them to <laughs> in order to uh, relieve, it, you know, in order for the, the elders to be able to give their best energy and attention to the ministry of the word and prayer and in order to promote the harmony and the ministry of the whole congregation. So there, again, there's a lot of flexibility. And because the Bible doesn't say much about deacons, I think that that should lead to at least two things. One, it should lead us to have extra charity and humility toward those who might do deacons a little differently than we do, because none of us is drawing on a very deep well. But also, it should lead us to pay all the more careful attention to what the Bible does say about the office, precisely because it doesn't say much. So we just talked about how this isn't a one-size-fits-all thing, right? Um, which brings me to the next question. It's kind of the, the unavoidable question that we all knew that we were going to come to, and that is, can women serve as deacons? So even, you know, think of our area, the Raleigh, Durham area, there are a number of churches where women are serving as deacons and some churches where this isn't happening. So can we, women serve as deacons? Why or why not? Yeah, you use the word unavoidable. It is an unavoidable question uh, because every church is going to come down somewhere on it. And, uh, and yet, I, I, for, I intentionally reserved the question for an appendix in the book because I emphatically didn't want it to be a book about women deacons. Um, I think that there's, there's room for both conclusions in the kingdom of God. There are strong arguments for both sides. Uh, and so, in fact, the way I start the appendix is by saying, you know, if you flipped here before reading the rest of the book, shame on you, return to the table of contents and try again. Uh, but in all seriousness, again, it's, it, it's a question no church can ultimately avoid. And I do think after, after um, yeah, just really studying the, the scriptures on it, not just on the office of deacon, but also on the office of elder and, and seeing the distinction between the two. Um, I do think that qualified sisters uh, may may serve as deacons. And I, I, I think that if you're in a context where your deacons are functioning as elders, which is the case, sadly, in a lot of Southern Baptist churches in particular, well, then no, you, you shouldn't move to, to install women into the diaconate. You first need to figure out what the diaconate is and, and what eldership is and get that clear. But once you have a... a, a, a a crystallized and I think biblical delineation between the offices and, and that, that division of labor, then I do think that um, women can serve the church extremely well as, as deacons because deacons are not elders. And, and I don't think that Paul's prohibition, for example, in 1 Timothy 2.12 about teaching and exercising authority over a man applies to what a deacon does in the life of a church. Um, in fact, the first part of that prohibition, teaching, is the, is the difference between the qualifications for elders and deacons. Uh, basically, the list of qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, and the qualifications for deacons in verses 8 to 13 are essentially identical, except that elders must be able to teach. Nowhere in the New Testament do we read a verse like, be subject to the 
to the deacons, but we do have first Peter five, be subject to the elders. We never have a verse that says, obey your deacons and submit to them. But we do have Hebrews 13, 17 in relation to elders. And so I think that if deacons are understood, not as the authoritative spiritual leaders exercising oversight over the whole church, but as the Bible presents them as, as model servants who are overseeing service in one area of the life of the church, then I think that absolutely um, women may serve and serve well in that office. Um, but again, there, there, are, there are good arguments for, for both sides, and I, I would commend my appendix to folks who kind of want to see what I think are the best arguments in both directions. That's good. That's uh, very, very helpful, and uh, thank you very much for that. Let's, let's get a little personal here for you. Uh, how have you been blessed uh, personally by the ministry of deacons? Well, I served as a deacon uh, for a few years, and, and as a deacon, I think I undervalued what I was doing. It wasn't until I became an elder that I started to really see the immense and indispensable value of deacons in the life of the church. Um, I, I think of our, you know, the, the way the way we we did it at the church I, I'm I'm coming from um, is we had task specific diaconates. That's not the only way to do it, but it worked well for us. And so each deacon was in charge of one area of service or ministry in the life of the church. And so, for example, we have a deacon of of member care. So so this is the 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 person who kind of runs point on meeting practical needs for people in the church that that have um, medical issues, financial issues, um, just just any any kind of thing that arises that doesn't immediately have to get kicked up the chain to the elders, but can be solved at a kind of lower level. So this person is working uh, directly with home group leaders to as kind of the front lines of, of defense, as it were, to make sure that nothing, uh, the way one author puts it, uh, is, is, that, is, that, is that deacons are meant to help ensure that nothing is endangering the joy of redemption in the life of the church. Um, and, and, and so they're, they're, they're barrier removers, obstacle removers to that kind of shared communal joy. So I've seen it with our, with our deacon of, of member care. Um, I know firsthand, we have a deacon of missionary care who, uh, who, and I've heard from, from missionaries that, that the, the work that deacon has done has helped them not feel forgotten has, has, has put wind in their sails and invigorated them for the, for the very difficult task um, of, of life overseas. You could just go down the list, childcare, hospitality, um, ordinances, things that, again, we as pastors and elders don't even have to think about. So much of that is because deacons are serving effectively. So last question. We, we, I'm actually going to reverse this question a little bit. I'm going to, I was going to ask it one way. I'm actually going to ask it the other way. Uh, and that is how can elders be an encouragement and blessing to their deacons? And you mentioned this past year, you know, the pandemic, all of the challenges that have been going on. Um, how can pastors listening to this right now be an encouragement to those serving with them in ministry in the role of deacon? I think the most obvious and and helpful way is by themselves having a high view of the office of deacons 
my, one of my hopes for this book is that it wouldn't just be a help to deacons, but it would actually be a help to elders to, to, uh, to give them a higher vision for this indispensable office. Deacons, for better or worse, are going to be difference makers in your church. And so uh, I would encourage an elder to study what scripture says about the office of deacon, to never for a moment think that he's on kind of the varsity team and that deacons are the, are the spiritual JV team, to not assume that just because uh, he as an elder has been entrusted with the task of spiritual oversight, that he can ever get his hands dirty and help. I mean, yes, there's a division of labor, but if a you know, an elder is is over at a widow's house praying with her. Um, uh, but you, or I should put it like this: if a deacon is over at a widow's house, you know, helping to move some heavy furniture, but but doesn't offer, you know, doesn't ask how how she's doing, how can he pray for her? He's he's failed in his job as a deacon. Likewise, if an elder is over there to care for her soul, but doesn't offer to move the heavy table, he's failed in his job as an elder. And so um, I, I think that, that elders need to ch champion the office of deacon. And that gets back to what I said earlier. Paul's words, Paul's promise, Paul's encouragement in 1 Timothy 3.13, um, that, that deacons who serve well will gain a good standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus, that kind of intentional honor and public encouragement should be echoed in the life of a church through the mouths of elders. Do not assume that your deacons are encouraged. Do not assume that they are encouraged. Go out of your way to encourage them and to honor them publicly. And that will put the wind in their sails that I mentioned earlier for the important work they're doing. That's so good. The, the, the elders should be uh, the biggest cheerleaders um, in the church uh, for deacons um, and, uh, and should be modeling for the congregation what it looks like to honor uh, and, to, uh, and to praise uh, and commend them for their work and for their, uh, uh, for their ministry to the church. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I know that in my time uh, as a pastor, uh, and as an elder, uh, God has just surrounded me with really, really good uh, and uh, servant-minded deacons and servant-hearted deacons. And and so, yeah, yeah, uh, I know that there's no way in the world that I could have done uh, the things that that I did as a pastor and and even currently as an elder uh, without having deacons uh, alongside uh, uh, carrying the load and and uh, and walking side by side in the ministry. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, and there's a sense in which deacons are like a congregation's offensive line. You know, whose job it is to protect the quarterback, lest lest he or they as as elders be sacked by an onrush of practical demands. Now, offensive linemen never make it onto Sports Center, but they're the reason their quarterbacks do. They are the reason that their teams do. And so any quarterback, any coach, you know, any player in their right mind is going to go out of their way to acknowledge and honor the work of the offensive line for the victories that the team achieves. Thank you again, brother, for this conversation. We definitely want to thank you for just the wisdom you, you've brought into the discussion. Uh, if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and you're trying to think of a resource to read more about deacons, 
Uh, I just want to commend you to look at uh, Matt's book, Deacons, How They Serve and Strengthen the Church. It's part of the Nine Marks Building Healthy Churches series, aka the Infinity Saga. Uh, so if uh, you're looking for more resources, definitely check that out. Uh, one last thing, uh, you are right now in the process of planting a church in Richmond, Virginia, uh, River City Baptist Church. Real quick, is there anything that, that we can be praying for you about or our listeners can be praying for you and your team about as you're kind of uh, laboring to get this started? Yes, thanks for asking. We, we just got here um, a couple months ago, so we're still getting our, our feet under us. We've started having core team gatherings. We're, we're really excited about, uh, about what the Lord has in store. Pray that lost Richmonders would come to Christ. Now that may seem just like the thing that every church planner is supposed to say, but the, but the reason I say it and say it first is because it's, it's, it would be easy to build a church just, uh, from poached saints. I don't, I, I'm not interested in just poaching, uh, Christians from other churches. I want to see conversion growth, but that's something that only God can provide. And so pray that, um, lost people in Richmond would bow their knee to King Jesus through the ministry of River City Baptist Church. Uh, pray that the Lord would, would keep me holy and humble um, and happy in the Lord as, a, as a, uh, the kind of father and husband that, that I need to be. Um, you know, it's been said that, that the best gift I can give to my congregation is my own personal holiness. Pray that would be the case. And pray that the Lord would provide for our financial needs and everything we need in order to see this new gospel witness born in a, in a place that really needs it. Absolutely, brother. Well, we'll definitely be praying for you. Thank you again for joining us this week on Pastor Matters. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, brothers. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this conversation helpful in any way, consider leaving us a review and a five-star rating. We would love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors, and I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain.